Hey everybody, this week's episode is for you if you want to write a memoir. If you've thought about writing a memoir but are afraid to think about actually doing it, then Alison Wearing is your girl. She is an expert memoirist and instructor in that craft, and we just had a lovely conversation. She's funny, her books are great, and she was easy to follow. For instance, I didn't know the difference between an autobiography and a memoir. I didn't have any idea about how you decide to put in what you do and leave out what you leave out. And what's the context for a memoir? Where do you start? She's got answers for all of that. So even if you've never thought about writing a memoir and you just want to listen into a great conversation, just check this one out. She was delightful. And by the way, I'm going to remind you, please share or leave a comment. It really means a lot. Thanks. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Allison Waring, and she's going to talk to us about memoir. I have a feeling that a lot of my listeners are in that place of, I had such an interesting life, and I'd love to write a memoir, or my life was really that interesting, but I'd like to write a memoir. So navigating those two places and then how to do it. Allison is a best-selling, multiple award-winning author. She's a playwright. She's a performer. She did a one-woman show based on one of her books for a year. Like, did you just wake up one day and go, heck, I'm going to be an actress today? Sort of. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of. Maybe you had a little training along the way. You'll tell us. Um, I've read a lot about your books and they sound like so much fun. Tell us how you decided to write your first memoir, because you have two. I'm going to call both of those memoirs, the one about dad and the other one. Yeah, I have three books, but two of them, I guess, would be classified as memoir, although the first one was a travel book. And so increasingly, those are now being called travel memoirs, I think, because it's such a popular genre. Um, But I don't think of it as a memoir. It was about a journey I made to Iran. But and and that trip, that book came about. So I. I was writing and traveling um, for many years, well, many, say a decade, and working along the way and so on. But I, I should say right up front, I failed high school English. I never took uh, an English course or a writing workshop or anything. So I felt wholly unqualified to to be a writer. And it happened almost by accident in that I was living in um, Czechoslovakia right after the revolution, um, I mean, then Czechoslovakia, what is now divided, but was still mm-hmm. then a country. And I was writing a letter to uh, a professor. I studied political science at university, and I was just writing him a letter about what I was seeing and living. And in response to that, he wrote back and said, you know, f- clean this up a bit, but send it to the Globe and Mail. And I did. And to my surprise, they published it. And I still remember <laughs> when the byline, you know, the, so the article was published and the byline was, Alison Waring is a Canadian writer living in China. 
Czechoslovakia. <laughs> I must have read that a hundred times. I, just, <laughs> I am really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, so, so that's how I I started writing was just very organically through letter writing, and I think because I was writing to well, he was a prof, but he was also a friend by that point. Um, I wrote in a very natural conversational tone. I wasn't trying to be anyone else. I wasn't trying to sound like an academic. I wasn't trying to sound even like a journalist. I actually, I then got into journalism and I found that quite difficult, this sort of dispassionate Mm -hmm. voice that was a step removed. And I realized, no, I think my strength or my comfort is in writing what then became memoir, which is very conversational in tone and very overtly a personal view of whatever one is living. And so we most often reflect on our own lives, of course, but we also are looking at the situations that we're, you know, that we're in, where be they another country or, or a complex family drama. Um, we use our own voice to tell that story. And so I began writing both political well, I guess you'd call them almost political, well, not really political memoirs, but they were essays, political Mm. essays, but from a really personal perspective. And I wrote one about um, uh, the Balkan War. Uh, I had traveled in Yugoslavia and and that, um, that essay did really well. And it made me, it really confirmed this idea that I can use my personal voice and my personal perspective to look at really complex issues. I don't have to become a political journalist. I can be a writer with a very unique, I guess, or well, personal voice and who, yeah, uses a lot of humor and, and, uh, just sees the world in my own quirky way. And so from there, I traveled to Iran and that became the subject of my first book. And, and it became this series of portraits of the Iranians that I was meeting. And ultimately, I think my goal was to kind of invite compassion into our view of that country and its people. Mm. We could certainly use some compassion today. Indeed. Indeed. So let's move on then to the, you took on your life and mm-hmm. you wrote, which book came first, the about your father or the one about? Um, my dad. So the next book that I did was Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter, which is about growing up with a gay dad in the 1980s at a time when dads really weren't doing that. <laughs> it was not <laughs> a thing. No, it was not a thing. We didn't even have the language. I grew up in right. Peterborough, Ontario, which was at that time a pretty small provincial little place. We certainly didn't have, uh, yeah. There was no place for my reality in that in that setting. And so I think I say to people, that's where I became a writer because I suddenly, I mean, that's when and where I became a writer in that I suddenly had to invent things about my life uh, to answer people's questions because mm. there was no place for the truth. And so I had to suddenly start fabricating details and answers to questions. Why does my dad dress like that? Speak like that? Why does he hang out with that guy? Where were you this weekend? What did you do this weekend? Uh, uh, Give I us just, an example of what you did one weekend. Did you go well, to the bar perhaps? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, an example of a weekend was, um, yeah, I would, my dad and his boyfriend would take me to the ballet where my dad's boyfriend's ex-boyfriend was one of the principals and we'd go backstage. I mean, how do you convey that in a high school cafeteria in Peterborough, Ontario in the 1980s? No, I would just invent. I would just invent. And so, um, so I, I, 
then my dad came out and eventually I came to terms and peace and celebration with that. Um, and But it was decades later that I felt the calling to write about it. I always knew at some point I would write about it, but but with our stories, I think we all have uh, a period in which the story isn't yet ripe for telling. Mm. So either we need a certain distance from it in order to be able to have the perspective we need to write about it, or we need certain wounds to heal, or we need actually to gain an understanding of what actually happened and what mm what it truly means mm-hmm. um, and that we often don't have at the time that we live it. So by the time I wrote about the story, uh, I mean, I think I was uh, in my late thirties and my dad had come out when I was 12. So um, it was a very, it was a full story. It felt, it felt like fruit that you just pluck from a tree. You know, when it just falls, you realize, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it landed so well formed. It was actually quite a simple book to write relative to other projects I'd had. Mm-hmm. And your dad was in support of it. Well, he didn't know about it. First. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> At first he didn't. I first wrote it as a one-woman show, actually. By then oh, I was the performing. Show. Yeah. I had performed another show for about a year. And then as I was performing that one, and I got into theater completely by accident. That was really just sort of trip, fall, land on the stage. And it turned out to be a great landing. I love performing. But... um but uh, after performing my first show for about a year, this story of my dad kept coming back to me. And I kept thinking this would make such a great show because he's quite a theatrical character. And uh, both my parents are musicians. So I could imagine music being threaded through the show. And so I wrote it first as a one woman show and I performed that for a year. And it was only really in response to, um, to audiences who were so curious about things. And I realize, oh, this is a bigger story. This isn't just my little story. This has this universal resonance that really all memoirs and at some point need to find in order to find homes in the in audiences or readers. And um, so I took, I applied for a grant and took a year off and wrote the book. And then it came out as a book. Well, so the story is when when I wrote it as a book, I I just expanded the script. Now, the script was my version of events, the way I saw the whole thing unfolding. But I was well aware that that was only my perspective and that our families coming out coincided with the countries coming out, or in fact, mm. North America, or the Western world's coming out. And we were just one little example of this. None of us knew that at the time, of, of course. course. We all just felt we were alone <laughs> in the dark. But, but it, feel, it felt important to set that family story in its proper historical context. And so when I was finished the writing of my story, I went into, my dad lives in Toronto. And uh, so I went to visit him and asked him just a couple of questions. I wanted to make sure I got some of the history points right and so on. And in response to one of my questions, he said, well, I have something that you might find helpful. And he disappeared down to his basement. And then he emerged with this box that had been, I learned later, unopened for 30 years. Wow. It was every writer's dream. He opened it up and it was his diaries at the time, drafts of letters that he was writing to friends, um, newspaper clippings, some of which were assuring him that this was a psychological condition and with the proper discipline, he could, you know, get over it. Um 
And yeah, this collection of, it was this time capsule. I mean, amazing. It was amazing. And as soon as I saw it, as soon as I started to look through it, I realized, I mean, it just screamed, here's your book. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up incorporating that material into the second part of the book. So I ended up dividing the book into four parts. The first part is the way I saw it. The second part is the way he saw it, which is my dad's coming out in his own words at the time when even he could not understand what was happening to him and why. Mm. And for anyone who's ever wondered about that experience, this is an extraordinary and I think rare account of someone who he was so honest because he was only ever writing to himself himself, and his friends. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third part is the way she saw it, because, of course, my mother had a very. I was going to ask about your mom. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth part is the way we see it now, which is how did we all turn out? and. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and interestingly, so I was 12 when my dad came out, or when I was told anyway, and my son was 12 when my book came out. And the Aww. amazing thing about that was that for him, he grew up in Stratford, Ontario. Well, the latter part of his um, schooling was done in Stratford, Ontario. And, and um, to say to his friends, oh, my dad's gay, was sort of like saying, and he has curly hair I mean it was just nothing it was just Mm -hmm. non well not not uninteresting detail but a detail that required no explanation no Mm -hmm. shame no embarrassment nothing and I just thought that was the most extraordinary miracle in a single generation of what can happen when we choose to open our hearts and absolutely wow such a beautiful I just have to like take a moment to let that all sink in so let's talk about the listeners. And let me just give your website because if people want to order the book, they can go there. It's Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, wearing W-E-R-I-N-G dot com. Actually, it's, sorry, it's W-E-A-R. E-A-R. Sorry, my mouth moves faster than my head. That's okay. There are links to the books there, the play, the awards that she's gotten. So for somebody listening who has been told by some friends, God, you have such an interesting life. You should really write a book. And the people who are too scared to even ask or hasn't had that experience, but still feel like they want to leave something, where do they start? Yeah. So uh, I really believe we all have a story that is not just worth telling, but that has a sacred value because it's Mm. uniquely our own. And that impulse to set it down, I actually also see as some kind of sort of sacred impulse in, in that it's about honoring one's voice, honoring one's time on this earth. And and regardless of whether people have an interest in publishing, the there is still tremendous value in setting down one's story and exploring the story for what it truly means. Because the thing about memoir, there are a few things that I think are misconceptions. One is, oh, it's just this navel-gazing pursuit and it's all about me. Well, the truth is, memoir, when it's done well, actually is not about me. It's not about us. It's not about just us. It is... It is a personal illustration of, most often, a universal experience. Mm. It is something that actually connects us to humanity. And this is how we weave together as communities and cultures, is through story. We have always, always done that. Mm -hmm. And so weaving our story into that collective fabric is a generous offering. I mean, it's adding a voice to the choir. That's how I see it. And. And memoir is is not just recounting what happened to me. 
That is the beginning of it, but it's not the end. The end, the memoir is here's what happened to me and why it mattered. Mm. Why it still matters. And what it's at its finest memoir, I think of as being generous. There is something generous in what we have lived and who we are on the other side of that living. Mm-hmm. That is like offering, it's passing a torch. It's it's offering a light to other people who may be going through something similar or who may someday go through something similar. Mm-hmm who may be struggling in in a in a place of not understanding what meaning could possibly be made of this experience and and the telling of one story is sort of like a, a call from the other side that that yeah you'll find your way differently but I, here i am and so um yeah I, I it can be a literary endeavor and it can also just be what i find really interesting because of course i now teach memoir writing and have done so for well over a decade um it 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 can be yes a literary endeavor and people can go on to publish and get agents and it gets very you know that that's wonderful and i think most people are surprised by not only how empowering they find that exercise, but ultimately how liberating. And that seems like a paradox. You would think if I dive deeply into my story, I'm just going to get sort of enmeshed in it. And, you know, I'm just going to be living in the past. No, on the contrary, when we write our story and write it with an eye on on finding meaning in it and shaping it as a story. We're now looking at our story, not just as my story, this is what defined me, but a story, a Mm -hmm. story in which I was a character. And we cannot change what happened to us, but we can change the meaning we make of it. Mm -hmm. And and the way we choose to value it. Mm -hmm. And, And so, and who we see as the narrator and protagonist of our stories. When we do this work, we actually well and truly become the author of our own lives, Mm. which is, in my experience, only ever empowering. Mm. I was thinking of Viola Davis's memoir. I don't know whether you've read it. I listened to it and listening to her do anything is exciting. Um, And there's a lot of raw and honesty and like no holds, no filters on the depictions of what actually happened in her childhood. Some people will have had a similar experience. There may be other experiences, like maybe for somebody having their dad come out was, you know, somehow traumatizing. And, but they want to tell the story and maybe those people aren't on their side to tell the story. How do you, how do you get around that? Yeah. And for everybody that's different. And I haven't read Viola Davis's memoir, but that would, but there is a difference between memoir and autobiography. And generally autobiography tells the whole story and it tends to be the domain of famous people. And so we're interested in every single thing that happened to them. But the thing about memoir is the, 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 another kind of common myth about memoir is that it's a life story, but it's not. And, and the, the the thing about it is unless we're famous, not everyone is going to care about every single detail of everything that happened to us. In fact, we're probably the only person who cares about everything. <laughs> and so the trick with memoir is not deciding what to write about. That we have innumerable episodes and stories and revelations and relationships and things we can draw on. The challenge is deciding what not to write about. Mm. So that a central story can emerge. Because if we try to go everywhere at once, we go nowhere. I mean, unless, as I say, you're famous and you're chronicling your full life story for a full uh, autobiography. But memoir tends to be 
a narrowly focused, rather than being the story of a life, it is a narrowly focused story from a life. Mm. So it tends to be a narrow wedge of time or a focused experience that sheds light on one's whole life, but doesn't explore every single scene and aspect. So that that choice initially, even that can be quite a liberating one because we're not actually required to tell everything. In fact, I love the, the poet Maggie Smith, whose memoir, which is one of the finest I've read in a while, called You Can Make This Place Beautiful. Mm. She begins her memoir by saying, this is not a tell all, it's a tell mine. <laughs> and, and I thought that was a beautiful way of expressing that conundrum for some people. How do I tell it all? Well, for one thing, you don't have to. And nor, I mean, a memoir is never the definitive family portrait. It is only ever one person's vision, voice, and experience as they lived and saw and remember it. And the more transparent I think we can be with readers about what we remember and what we, what is hazy, what other people feel differently about and what we though remember. The moment we allow for that kind of aqueous portrait, the more true the portrait ends up being, I think. And, and then it doesn't, it doesn't actually need to rely on on this assembly of facts and every single thing that occurred but it does now become a a true portrait we are painting a portrait of a memory of a time of an experience and and then so we begin to have choices about what we include and what we don't. Every writer makes those choices. And for everyone, that's different. I mean, there were certain things about my parents' marriage that I simply chose not to include because I didn't feel that that was really anyone else's business. <laughs> and and we make those choices both to protect people sometimes, but also, um, yeah, because it because it can cause harm and we don't wish to. Now, your question was more, what if we wish to? And, and Anne <laughs> Lamott has, so the great memoirist Anne Lamott, um, she has a famous quote, which I often see traveling around on social media, something like, um, uh, if people wanted you to write more, write more kindly about them, they should have behaved better. <laughs> Which I mean, I love that. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And, um, and I also think, I also believe that we have the capacity as people to honor every single person in our story, even those antagonists, even mm -hmm. those difficult people by doing the extra work of not just paint. I mean, vengeful memoirs are the worst. I never get through them. In fact, I never get through the first 10 pages. If someone is grinding an ax, they have lost most of their readers by page 10, truly. And so that, and that kind of writing is the writing we do for ourselves mm -hmm. in preparation for the painting of this portrait, which is now an artistic work. Now we're approaching art and it's a very different energy. The energy that drives those two endeavors is quite different. I'm thinking of Prince Harry. Yeah, I didn't Prince read his memoir, but I heard well, much about it. I thought it was actually, I, I enjoyed it very much. And yeah. now he had a ghostwriter. So that's the first thing right. he did it someone else wrote it so he did interviews and and that writer is a great writer and he was also Andrew, uh, Agassi's um mm -hmm. biographer and I would call it a bi biography it's not a memoir okay really. 
the life story of a famous person. So it's a biography. I thought it was very skillfully and tenderly done. And I, and me, there's something about even that word tenderness when we, it's, he has a, he has done the work, the preparatory work to find compassion for every person really in that story. And they may, and, and, and importantly, he was willing to lose those relationships. And that is something that we do need to decide when we're working in this kind of territory, because it is true. Those writing can act as a wildfire in, in, in a life. And so it's really important to treat that fire with respect and, and act accordingly. And so sometimes stories simply need to find their time and that time might not be now. And sometimes stories need to be shaped in certain ways, which doesn't mean they're no longer true, but we don't have to reveal every single conversation that we had. And, and, and yet if something is really important, is really vital to the telling of our story and who we are and who we have become on the other side of that, then I believe we as creative people will find the way through that so that people, that our story can be honored. And if we, if, if, you know, if we're willing to, to risk, well, for some people, that's a choice. They're willing Mm -hmm. to risk certain relationships in order for the truth to stand. And and that's everybody's individual choice. Mm -hmm. You said something a minute or two ago about, I was thinking about, um, when you're a siblings, let's just say gathering once a year at a holiday and somebody says, do you remember when you fell off your bike and I rushed you to the hospital? And they're like, you didn't take me to the hospital. Mom took me. Like we have all of these. You said we are fuzzy. You know, maybe that's the way we include some of the stories is my recollection of this was this happened this way. Um, and that softens it up a little bit, tenderizes yeah. it. Yeah. And it's amazing how, you know, there's so many tools that we can use like that. It's amazing what the words in my, as I recall, comma, mm-hmm can do yeah others remember this differently but i dot 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 mm -hmm. and that even about the bigger picture the global moment right you were saying that our story sits inside the container of what was going on around our small community our big community and certainly we probably all have different recollections of monument in america when john f kennedy died Mm 9-11 those things but everybody i've ever spoken to about 9-11 even those of us who were in the city area have a little bit of a different view of that day, the moment they saw the plane, right? So um, I think that's an important thing. And maybe to help people ease into the telling of their story, to just remember, this is how you remember it. Um, So let's talk about the process of the memoir, because I know that you have your course, which is how to write a memoir. And it's a 12-week course. So how do you begin with people? How do people begin if they, they I want to write a memoir, I've never written a book, I don't know how to write, really. Yeah, well, and some people come in with a clear idea of this is what I want to write about. And others say, I just want to write about my life, I don't really know. And so I I designed the course with, both, with that wide spectrum in mind, knowing that people, because I taught in person for so long, I was ending up answering the same series of questions <laughs> every time. And that fascinated me, that no matter if this person was a beginning writer or a seasoned writer working on their third book, Uh, or just beginning, they all seem to have the same series of questions and Mm. run up against the same obstacles, questions, 
and, and difficulties. And so I gathered all the things that I was continually saying over and over again, and I structured them into this four step process. And the first part of the process is finding the heart of your story now, which is not necessarily what it's about. I mean, what happened? It's what is it actually about? What is mm. this? What is the larger story? What I call it the sky writing, that universal story of which of which ours is, you know, a, a personal illustration. So, so we start just sort of to, I'd say to people, when, when people start the course, I say, this is, please think of yourselves as walking into a studio where there are all kinds of paint cans, all the lids are taken off. There are all kinds of brushes and sponges and all surfaces. You can paint the fridge, the floor, the ceiling, the, your legs. I don't care what you do. <laughs> just, um, yeah, because I think we can get, especially when it comes to writing, the moment people sit down to write, they, <clears throat> Oh, I've got to say it. It's got to be perfect and got to be chromatically correct. And, and so I like to open the, the uh, canvas a bit or open the horizons and have people. So there are a lot of um, prompts and exercises that get people thinking beyond what they might think the story is about and, mm. and to get them reading different things that will give them uh, some ideas and inspiration and, and yeah, probably trigger some memory or, or um, possibility that they might not have considered. And, and I also try to encourage people to, to think small. They don't have to write the book today, particularly <laughs> if they've never written anything before. <laughs> Starting with a book is like saying, oh, I'm interested in taking up running. So I've got to register in the Boston Marathon. Now, what's the date? I'll bet my hotel. No, no, no. no. Right, right. Let's just go around the block. Let's go around the block a few times. Now let's extend a little bit more, stretch a bit. So that's the beginning. And then, um, yeah, and then we move into more complex topics like the difference between truth and memory. Can, can we trust our memory? What if we don't remember? What if people's memories are different? What if people don't want us to include a certain thing? We just explore all of those things. How to write about family, how to, how to cast portraits, characters, how to make characters of the people in our lives because this the the tools of memoir are not all that different from the tools of fiction we just have to be clear about what we're exploring which is we're we're trying to get as close to the truth as we possibly possibly can and um, but we still have to think about you know the arc of a story how to make how to deliver a story that has momentum and and purpose and that lands really um uh, with this in a satisfying way for the reader how do we do that you know there so so I go to all of those places but the reason I divide it into a 12-week course is because I like to look at one small thing every week and just explore that one small piece so that gradually we have this mosaic that begins to develop and an understanding of how our life, how the story of our life might fit into this linear thing called uh, an essay or a book eventually. Bird by bird. Bird by bird, exactly. Bird by bird. I'm a moth, yeah. I think when you get the right teacher, which it sounds like you are from all the testimonies you have, you can lead a person to something inside of them and then they have to have the courage to go with it. I'm thinking that by the end of 12 weeks, you're immersed in who you're becoming or who you are as a storyteller and the story. So it's not going to be as like 
horrifying at the end. Well, and I don't like to drop people off the cliff at the end. And the, and I um yeah, I I included a few things, a few elements to the course that feel really key. One is so we have a live or we have an interactive community where people can post work for peer review that is strictly monitored by four extraordinary writers who read every comment and post and we're very clear about what constitutes genuinely helpful feedback and what does not that this mm-hmm. is a space to develop not only the ability not only to get feedback on work but to develop your own in, in your own internal editorial eye i call mm-hmm. it because when you are looking at other people's work with an eye to offering genuinely helpful feedback which is clarifying illuminating inspiring you know it 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 there's a very there are very clear ways of doing it um then you when you you never look at your work the same way again you begin to see your own work with that same perspective and you have now honed a certain um a certain editorial ability that we often don't have when we're working on our own particularly something so personal as our own story we can lose perspective on it very quickly so mm-hmm. so that's one space the other and so people are very active in that and they're posting all the way through the course but then i didn't want then the course to end and floop you're off on your own <laughs> so we have something called the alumni cafe where people's kind of oh, continue cool. to fun on their own and that's an unmoderated space but by that time people really have understood this idea of of what constitutes helpful feedback and how to how to support each other while you know also giving people helpful um helpful work that helps clarify what they're doing um but then the other thing that we started doing and this was this was i think very early on in the course people were saying oh you know it'd be really lovely we're meeting we're meeting in text you know we're texting back and forth but it'd be so fun to meet in person this was during the pandemic so we were never going to meet in person so i started this thing called writers unite which is we call it speed dating for memoir writers (laughs) Uh, because we gather people who are in the course together at the same time and we gather in a Zoom meeting, but then we put people into breakout rooms and they just talk about what they're writing. Again, they have very specific questions there to answer or ways to lead the discussion, but they they just are talking about, I think of it as a cafe that's down the road where you can go where all the people who are gathered there are also writing memoir and they're Mm. also going through this process and they're also having questions and concerns and breakthroughs and so on and so people form writing partnerships and often little writing groups as a result of this it's a monthly um, event that we host but the amazing thing is so now I teach these writing uh, retreats in Tuscany and some of the people, many of the people who come to these will come with their writing partner whom they've never met, whom they've been, you know, corresponding for two years. One lives in Tasmania, the other in California, and they're meeting, they've been supporting each other. Some of them are publishing anthologies together. I mean, the, the wow. it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I'm thrilled with that part of the course. I yeah. hadn't expected that community to build. That's been really, I think, one of the greatest surprise blessings of it i'm going to tie back to two things one how you literally fell into acting how you fell into writing but how you're surprised by the community but it's because you were called to put something on a page that's where we started the conversation how you said i was just writing to my professor and i and and to to say to the listeners who might be interested in this course or other ways of getting to their memoir on the paper is if you are called then that's the starting point. That is, you have been called, accept the call, 
cross the threshold into something that will help move you forward because you mentioned energy. I don't think you used that word, but if we don't give that story, it's inside of us taking up space when it could be out in the world, giving grace or space to somebody else. And I, we talked before we hit record that most of 90 some odd percent of your people are women over 50. It's because what's in the rear view is a lot longer. (laughs) The road is longer back there than it is up here. Yeah. Why wait? And also, uh, what I find so beautiful is that so many of the women that come to my course and or retreats are people who have tended to other people's stories for most of their lives. Uh-huh. They have supported the stories of partners, children, families in 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 extraordinarily beautiful ways. And but now it's now it's their turn, mm-hmm. and their voice. It's time to have their voice join the choir, as I said at the beginning. And and there's it's um yeah it moves me every time. I hear from someone who, well, I had someone in Tuscany just uh, a few weeks ago who she's 84 and she said, this is the first time she's really felt heard. I mean, that just, yeah, Yeah. that means the world to me. I'm just going to tell them your website again is Allison Waring and the course is on a page there. Her books are there, plays, awards, her bio, they're a great picture of her with all this curly cute hair when she was little. If you're interested in that, please do stop by and tell us what you want to leave the listeners with about this subject. That that your story has value. It doesn't matter how exciting it was. We don't need to have led a turbulent childhood in order to have something to write about, although many many of the challenges, the greatest challenges that we've had in our lives are the things that have also shaped us. Mm -hmm. And so, but many, many stories are quiet and beautifully so. Um, It doesn't really matter so much the material we have as far as our our you know the 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 life that we're working with as what we do with it how we sculpt it and so i really believe every every life has a story that that is longing to fly out of it and so it's just a matter of giving it flight i love that give it wings thank you very much allison this has been wonderful if you go to the website and just read about it watch one of the interviews you're going to want to buy the book because (laughs) so so many people loved it so much and laughed and cried and those are the kind of books i look for these days in this sort of heavy chaotic world we have i want something light even if there's something in there that might cause me to catch my breath i'm going with humor and love and that kind of thing thank you thank you thanks for being here people i'll be back next week with another fabulous guest be well till then everybody i have a favor to ask if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you listen to please leave a review on your favorite site for listening to podcasts you can also leave a comment on my website where you'll find the podcast at the podcast tab or under any of the guest podcast episode pages thanks it means a lot to me and i appreciate you be well till next time